You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Sorcerer of death construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World this week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite Listen to the Anarchist World this week Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse Listen to analysis of local, national international events Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. Uh, look, uh, this program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. It is broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is usually produced from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne because of COVID-19 stage four restrictions and stage three restrictions. We're broadcast from outside the radio station. There may be technical issues. If there are technical issues, my apologies. But uh, obviously the Community Radio Network, uh, Community Radio 3CR and myself, uh, we're all doing what we can to ensure that you continue to get an up-to-date analysis of what's happening. This program is going live to air. I prefer to go live so I can give you a a more uh, up-to-date analysis of what's going on. Look, we'll start off with a COVID-19 update as uh, Melbourne, Metropolitan Melbourne, will be going to stage four lockdown in a few hours. I think it's important that we uh, look at the reasons we're here. Uh, I've been uh, very uh, patient, and I'm sure a lot of other people have been very patient uh, regarding the government's uh, response, especially the Victorian state government's response to um, COVID-19. And although we're supposedly in this together... The fact is that uh, there's been a lot of mistakes made in the last uh, few months, since March, a lot of mistakes made, especially in Victoria. And I don't think the Premier's uh, hectoring, lecturing ways is the best way to bring the community on board. I mean, to say if the police want more powers, they simply have to ask, gives you an example of the desperation that the uh, current government is in. Uh, and to a significant degree, I think people are expecting the government to actually accept uh, responsibility for the current situation because of their uh, save a penny, spend a pound, spend a pound attitude to the uh, quarantine as far as uh, overseas travellers were concerned, which I'm sure we'll find out was the um, beginning of this uh, current wave. So. I think if the Premier wants people to actually uh, get involved, uh, to obey the rules, there aren't enough police or army officers in a city of uh, five million to maintain control. He needs community support and he needs widespread community support. And obviously we all know the uh, COVID-19 issue. We know that social distancing is important, that masks are important. 
that um, the only way to uh, stop transmission or decrease transmission in an area where there's no vaccination, in an area where there's no treatment, is uh, for human beings to do things which human beings normally don't do because we're basically herd animals. We like other human beings. We like to congregate. We need to congregate. We need to talk. We need to uh, touch each other. And the list goes on and on. So I think that if, if the Premier wants Victorians to get behind this stage for restrictions, and it does need voluntary support, not coercive support. As I said before, there are not enough police officers or army personnel in this country to uh, ensure that the lockdown uh, is successful. The lockdown will only be successful if there is community support. And I think he needs to look at the way people have been addressed in this state regarding what needs to be done. People do not like to be lectured to. They don't like to be threatened. They don't like to be told they must do this and they must do that. People know they must do this and they must do that if they want to decrease the incidence of COVID-19 in the community. So what needs to happen is for the Premier to tone down his rhetoric, to bring the community in, to make us one group of people. I mean, not divide us and try to threaten and frighten people by uh, increasing penalties, by uh, coercing people, because that type of activity does not work unless you've got tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of police and military personnel to enforce those rules, which doesn't happen in this country currently anyway. So it's a matter of bringing the community together to understand the need for what needs to be done. Secondly, I find it extraordinary that uh, during this difficult time for small businesses, especially small businesses, I find it extraordinary that legislation hasn't been passed that allows small businesses to, one, walk away from leases. Many small businesses are going to be bankrupted. Tens of thousands of small business people in this state and around this country will be bankrupted in the next, if not hundreds of thousands, the next few years. And a lot of these businesses have signed leases which they cannot get out of, which they will be pursued for, which will mean they'll have to fork, uh, sell their homes, and this goes on and on. Nobody's talking about passing legislation now. The Premier has declared a a state of disaster. A state of disaster means in Victoria the Premier can ignore any legislation that has been passed by Parliament. He has basically become a one-man band. That's what he's become. He could tomorrow announce that all any business that wants to walk away from a failing business, from a failed business, can walk away and break a lease with no penalty. At the same time, he can announce that the banks, if there are any owners of, of, of premises who have mortgages, the banks need to uh, forget about those mortgages until things that building is released. So there are many things can be done economically, not just uh, you know a bit of government uh, borrowing, many things that can be done economically to ensure that we weather this crisis physically, emotionally and economically. Many things that are not being done. I find it extraordinary during this period to 
see people like Twiggy Forrest and Gina Reinhart, you know, still pile on the cash because they uh, are in a position where they uh, exploit our mineral resources. The people's mineral resources. It's extraordinary to see people with a personal wealth. That's a personal wealth of over $20 billion, which is $20,000 million. When you talk about $20 million, billion, it doesn't seem like much, but when you talk about $20,000 million, you begin to understand the extraordinary wealth they have. And I think it's time as a society that we need to raise the significant issue of how we are going to deal with this situation economically over the next few years. And the thing that springs to my mind, and I think it's the thing that springs to most other people's mind, is that we live in the Commonwealth of Australia. The wealth should be held in common. We should be debating and passing legislation to nationalise this country's mineral resources, coal, uranium, bauxite, um, diamond, gold, rare earth, lithium, and the list goes on and on and on. That we nationalise these resources so that we can use the income that comes from the exploitation of these resources to deal with the COVID-19 pandemic and to deal with structural inequality which occurs in our society. These are debates we need to have. We need to take action and we need to take it quickly. It's no use hectoring people. It's no use saying to people, well, you're going to lose your job and you've got to apply for uh, this and you've got to apply for job seeker or that. I mean, it is so difficult for so many people to get the resources they need to keep body and soul together. And if there's one thing I've noticed since March, the bills still keep coming. They still keep coming. They haven't decreased. I mean, uh, there's been some temporary arrangements to defer some bills, but in the majority of cases, the bills still keep coming. So why do we find ourselves in this difficult situation? And we find ourselves in this difficult situation for three main reasons. And I'll go through these reasons over and over and over again because I think it's important that people just don't react, that we should have been in a position where we should have been able to deal with a pandemic much better than we have. And the first thing is, this country has no centre for disease control. Could you imagine that? No centre for disease control. The SARS pandemic in 2008, we have known there is another pandemic on the horizon and health people, health personnel across the country have been saying over and over and over and over again that we as a society, especially the richest societies, the Western world, should have been in a position to deal with this pandemic much quicker, much better. And we had nothing in place. Everything has been reactive. We were even in a situation where we didn't have and continue not to have enough personal protective equipment for people at the front line treating people with COVID-19. No Centre for Disease Control. No national plan of how to deal with a pandemic. 
No plan on what to do regarding the economy. No plan put in place on the wearing of masks. No plans at all. Nothing. Although we had years of warning that this was a potential that we had to look after. No planning. Nothing. No reserves. And this is to a significant degree has been because of the privatisation globalisation, corporatisation, deregulation agenda that has been pursued for so long by so many governments at the state and federal level, not just in Australia but around the Western world. We are now paying the price of not taking precaution. That's the issue. We have no plans in place whatsoever. No structures, no organisation, no funded um, uh, structures, nothing. So if there's one lesson to be learned when this pandemic is over, and it will be over, like every pandemic eventually splutters out, and it may take a while, but it will be over, and I think people need to remember that it will be over, that we need to redirect resources, significant resources in such a way as to be able to deal with the next pandemic because this will not be a one in a century event as we are told. Things have changed since 1919. There are many more people on the planet. We are making more incursions into the uh, natural world. There is a greater transfer of uh, disease of the, disease, especially viruses, from the animal animals to humans, and this will continue to be a feature. And unless we have plans in place and structures in place to deal with the situation until there's vaccination or treatment for a specific virus, then we will find ourselves in the same situation over and over again. I think the second thing that we need to remember is that what this has demonstrated to us is the necessity, the necessity for a universal basic income. In a capitalist society, a society which is based on private investment for private profit, uh, the, ma the, uh, the maxim is very simple. Increase profits for your major shareholders irrespective of the human, social, environmental and national costs. And pursuing a policy, as we've seen during this 40 years of deregulation, privatisation, globalisation and um, corporatisation, pursuing these policies has created a situation where more and more and more people are being left behind. Let's not remember that six to nine months ago, people on unemployment benefits, people on social security benefits of any type were demonised in this country. They were called leaners. The one third of the population which relied on social security benefits was somehow uh, you know, not even a, a human being in this country. And now they want people to pull together. And I think people need to remember that if they want us to pull together, and we do need to pull together, and I've got no problem with that, we need to change the economic system. We need to look at the question of a universal basic income.
communities from disasters. Not just disasters from pandemic, but disasters which will occur as CO2 emissions continue to increase. Let's not forget, although there's a pandemic, nothing else has changed. We continue to pursue policies of uh, promoting CO2 emissions, especially in this country. I'll just give you a aside. You know, we've been uh, talking about carbon capture and putting a lot of money into carbon capture in Australia now for some time. And uh, the pioneers of carbon capture in the United States of America have now actually, that's NRG Energy, have closed down because carbon capture does not work. What was the federal government's response to the closure of uh, NRG, they said, well, we will continue to do research. We will continue to work on carbon capture, not not recreate the mining sector in order to compensate uh, workers in, in, in the coal region. No, we're not doing that. So that's the trouble living in a society based on a wage system. There is no protection for individuals and a universal basic income, which I've been talking about now for decades, is what is needed to protect individuals and people from economic disaster, whether it's a natural disaster, whether it's a pandemic, whether it's increasing CO2 emissions, we need some mechanism via which people can look after their basic needs, shelter, food, security, uh, during a crisis. And a universal basic income goes a long way into providing that safety net. Now, people are saying, how can we afford it? How can we afford a universal basic income? And once again, I raise three ways of financing a universal basic income. One, nationalise this country's mineral resources. Why should two or three individuals have billions of dollars in their back pocket while other people are having trouble paying bills, feeding themselves? 700 children live in poverty in this country. Over 2.5 million people asked for a food assistance in the last month. And the list goes on and on and on and on. Why shouldn't the natural resources, why shouldn't the mineral resources that occur in this country, as well as the natural resources, be held in common and used for the common good? Because that's what the concept of anarchism is about. It's about creating a society without rulers. What gives rulers power, as you know, is inequalities in power, inequalities in wealth. And the anarchist struggle is the struggle to share power, that's devolved power, and the, and the struggle to hold wealth in common and share wealth. So a universal basic income is a step towards that type of a society. How can you fund it? Not only you can introduce a 1% turnover tax on the stock market. Now, if there's one organisation which has got no touch with reality, which is devoid of any real uh, physical uh, consequences, it's this country's and the world's stock market. They continue to luxuriate. They continue to be profitable. Investors continue to make billions of dollars every 
every day I invest in the stock market, which has no connection with the reality on the ground, has no connection whatsoever currently with what's happening in the real world. It's like it's part of the social media empire. So a 1% turnover, a 1% stock market tax, every time a, ta- a bond or tax is bought or sold, goes into the federal treasury, would go a long way into funding the universal basic income. And the third tax I've been thinking about, which is nothing new, I mean, anything I'm talking about is not my ideas. These are ideas that have been around for a long time. Is a financial transaction tax, especially for large financial transactions. Because if we want to deal with disasters, and that's the key, not just disasters caused by a pandemic, disasters caused by natural forces, disasters caused by economic collapse. The way we need to deal with disasters to ensure that every person living on this continent has access to the basic necessities of life as part of our constitutional guarantee. It's all very well for the Premier of Victoria to declare a state of disaster so he can, you know, be a one-man band and talk about, you know, if the police want more powers, all they have to do is ask. It's another matter bringing the community together and providing people with the basic resources which will allow them to deal with a disaster. So the third thing that we need to think about is, as I said before, is a preparation, a universal basic income. And the third thing that we need to think about is how we are going to organise society. How are we going to organise society? Is parliamentary democracy an effective way of people being involved in decision-making processes? Is voting every three to four years an effect and giving a, a reserve power to make decisions for you for the next three to four years an effective way of running a nation? It isn't. Because what we've seen over the last uh, 100 years, especially over the last four decades, is the capture of parliamentary power by people who have resources. We see that the parliamentary agenda, whether it's at a state or federal level, is consistently designed to look after the interests of those who own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. And it's quite laughable to think that we live in a democratic society. When I talk about democracy, I'm talking about direct democracy. People making decisions and electing or appointing delegates to coordinate those decisions at a local, local, regional and national level. We need to look at the political structures under which we currently labour because they have been shown to be ineffective. Look at what's happened. We supposedly live in a democratic society. We have a state of emergency declared, which means you know, a small group of people can make any decisions they like. Then we have a state of disaster declared in Victoria, and it can be declared anywhere in Australia. Let's not forget that. And that means the government can ignore any laws that have been made in an attempt to deal with that situation. As we've seen in Victoria, if you want people to to follow the rules, to 
if you want people to follow the rules, we need, obviously, we need to provide that economic support. It's just extraordinary how long it's taken the federal government to introduce the pandemic sick pay of $1,500 for uh, people who uh, have got no sick pay. And let's not forget that over... 40% of the population in this country is casualised work with no holiday pay, no sick pay, and the list goes on and on. We could have gone a long way to preventing the spread of COVID-19 months ago if, a, if that 1500 payment had been made to every person who needed to isolate because they had COVID-19 or because they were in contact with somebody with COVID-19 for 14 days. Many of the infections which occurred in nursing homes across the country, and especially in Victoria, occurred because poorly paid workers, casual workers with no sick leave, went to work in the early stages of uh, the infective process. And now we are paying the price of government not willing to provide that $1,500. And let's not forget, let's not make it difficult Let's not make it bureaucratic for these for this 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 assistance to to arrive. It should be a little bit like the seven hundred and fifty dollars which has been paid to people on pension on two separate occasions since this pandemic began. It should be an automatic payment. People don't need to line up at Centrelink. People shouldn't need you know to fight their way through you know a computer to get a permit. The list goes on and on. It should be an automatic process. But the dilemma is, during a privatisation phase, government don't have the staff to implement decisions. And that's why we continue to have these extraordinary bottlenecks. And it doesn't matter how much the fines are going to be. It doesn't really matter. People will not follow instruction if they find themselves in a situation of having to pay necessary bills or, you know, go to work. And that's the dilemma. And that's why we need to, as I said before, look at the idea of universal basic income. Look at the idea of how to fund the universal basic income. Look at the idea of being prepared for a pandemic. Look at the idea of uh, the type of... Uh, decision-making process we have in this country. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is being broadcast outside the studios of Community Radio 3CR, obviously with the help of Community Radio 3CR. Without uh, the good folk at Community Radio stations across this country, Community Radio would have died long ago and I offer my congratulations and my support to all those community radio workers across the country who have been working very hard to ensure that this voice of community radio continues to provide opinions which are not heard in the corporate media and the government gilded ABC. These are reactive media and especially, especially the corporate-owned media. I mean, the corporate-owned media is about advertising, but we'll talk about that later on. My name's Joseph Toscana. If you want to leave a message, 0439 395 489. If you want change, I encourage you to look at the Public Interest Before Corporate Interest website, pipci.net, pibci.net. 
as I said, need about 120 members to register as a federal political party. You can always download the application form from info at pipsy.net or just go to pipsy.net, download the application form, fill it out, send it by mail or just uh, email it back to us and uh, you'll get all the necessary uh, details in the next, in the, once we receive the application. As I said before, change does not occur by complaining and carrying on. Now, I'm literally like the Premier here of Victoria. But if you want change, you need to become involved. You need to become part of an organisation. You need to be involved in the process. And public interest before corporate interest does give you that opportunity. Now, other websites you can look at, you can go to my personal page, Joseph Toscano or Toscano for the Public, Remember, this program is podcast. You can access the podcast at any time at 3cr.org.au. And as the post offices are still open, you can always write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Now, as I said before, I can give you the most stupid analysis, the most brilliant analysis, but at the end of the day, what I say doesn't really matter. What matters is if you take that next step and become involved in activity to change society because... A lot of people have forgotten why we find ourselves in Australia. We were in such a powerful position and now find ourselves in such a weak position. And they forget that we find ourselves in this position where we seem to be incapable of dealing with uh, any disaster. Incapable. Because for far too long, we have put the needs of the few before the needs of the many. For far too long, we have lauded the investment class. That small section of society that uses this country uh, investment-friendly taxation laws to enrich themselves to the rest of the community. For far too long, we have seen the billionaires and the millionaires as the heroes in the society. For far too long, we have allowed the corporate-owned media and to a lesser extent the government guild at ABC to determine the social, political agenda and cultural agenda in this country. For far too long, we have been spectators at our own trial. Spectators. We have been spectators. Democracy is an interesting concept. Democracy is rule of the people, by the people, for the people. We don't live in a democratic society. We don't have rule of the people. We have rule of parliament. And parliament, to a significant degree, is influenced by that small section of society that means production, distribution, exchange, and communication. Rule of, of the people, by the people, for the people. There is no for the people. How could 25 million people living on a resource-rich continent continue to have poverty, especially childhood poverty? How could 25 million people living on a continent find themselves in a situation where 40% of the population doesn't even have enough money in reserve to pay for a broken water system? or pay the rent, and the list goes on and on and on. And it doesn't matter how many police you have, how many armed forces personnel you have, how many laws you have, how many fines you have, how many people you put in jail. Society functions because people want to be part of that community and feel that they are part of that community and feel that they're 
needs are met and their desires are met, that they're listened to. And people will not be lectured to in the long run. They will not be lectured to pandemic or no pandemic. And that is the dilemma we face today, that we are not being listened to. Now, let's move on to some other areas. I mean, I'm, in, I'm sure you're all COVID-19 uh, wiped out, but uh, it is a difficult situation. It is difficult in Victoria. It is difficult in Melbourne. It is difficult in, in, in parts of New South Wales. And the possibility is that it could be uh, an Australian-wide issue in our short term unless we take those steps. And as I said before, the first step that should be taken is the Victorian government should accept responsibility for what's occurred. Secondly, they need to bring people together, not apart. And that, you know, the thing is, you know, you can be as tough as you like. But the reality is that if you've had kids, you know that your best result is when you include people. Yeah? Okay, let's move on. Now, China. I noticed that Australia's thing you've banning that social media extravaganza TikTok and uh, and there's been a lot of anti-Chinese rhetoric. Now, look, I've got nothing. I, don't, I, I find the Chinese Communist Party a particularly obnoxious uh, organisation. But, but I think we need to understand how interlinked Australia, the Australian economy has become to the Chinese economy. Now, Mr. Twiggy Forrest, our $20 billion, our $20,000 million personal fortune millionaire, and uh, Madame Reinhardt basically have made their fortune by exploiting iron ore, exporting iron ore to China. Twiggy Forrest, the Fortescue Metal Group, exported 87% of the iron ore they dug out of the earth to China in the last few months. 87%. No wonder Mr. Forrest has, uh, you know, has, has diarrhoea every time the uh, federal government indulges in its uh, rhetoric. Now, if you just think it's a mining thing, during the June quarter, during the last quarter, that's April, May, June, 46% of Australia's exports went to China. 46%. Seven point seven went to the United States of America. Forty six percent of Australia's exports went to China. Three point five percent to Japan. Think about it. Forty six percent. So why less than ninety days to the um, US election? Why would you pin your hopes on the Trump administration? Why would you, in the middle of pandemic and an economic crisis, worsen that economic crisis? What is the reason behind it? It really makes no sense. Now, I understand people say, well, TikTok, that data can be used by the Chinese Communist Party and the Chinese government. Well, let's look at Amazon, Apple, Google, and Facebook, okay? These are $7 trillion industries. And uh, last week, uh, the heads of these organisations, which included uh, uh, Mark Zuckerberg from uh, Facebook and uh, 
this is trying to pick R from Google and Jeff Bozos from Amazon and Tim Cook from Apple were grilled by the House of Representatives Committee of the United States of America. And it turned out that these people were basically running a cartel, a cartel that they used the data they had to uh, kill off any competition. So let's not forget, and I'll go through this again, let's not forget that every time that you use one of these um, uh, social media outlets, you are the product. Your information is what they need to sell advertising to make a buck. You are the product. And in many cases, it's worth the effort, and in many cases, it isn't. But you are the profit. So TikTok is really no different to Apple or Google. Governments can retrieve information. And it's very funny to hear the Australian government is concerned about the Chinese government getting uh, getting information about Australians from TikTok. The Australian government has passed legislation which allows them to get any information they like about any citizen they like at any time they like from Apple, Google and Facebook. The legislation is there. Whether they can do it or not is a different matter, but the legislation is there. So we need to remember that this is a significant issue and that, uh, you know, people say, well, we'll just sell our products to somebody else. Well, maybe there is nobody else to which you can sell your products to. Maybe been involved in this uh, new values, so-called values war, is basically a waste of time, a dangerous waste of time, especially when we should be concentrating our efforts on dealing with the pandemic that we now have. And when Australians say, oh, we're concerned about foreign interference in our democracy, well, let's talk about foreign interference in democracies. When the West, when the East Timorese, uh, new East Timorese state was formed, the Australian government were concerned spied on that state in order to uh, improve its chances of getting more from oil revenue in a sea between Australia and East Timor. Now, currently, there is a case, the Kaleri case, in court, in the Australian courts, to which you are not privy to. We've seen the ridiculous situation of a man being tried in secret, jailed in secret in this country. And all this goes on and on. We are seeing people now being brought to trial because they have exposed, they have exposed the duplicity of the Australian government. Let's not forget it was the Australian Secret Service which was tapping the phone of the former Indonesian president to say that Australia is not involved in activity around the globe with, its, with the United States and other countries to influence other countries is ridiculous. We have been involved in the business of regime change for generations. In the last 30 to 40 years, we've seen the results of that intervention in Iraq, where the, the current um, political situation in the Middle East, the current fragile situation is directly linked to that regime change. For the Australian government to say that it is different to the Chinese government, that it is different to the Russian government, 
it's different to you know other say authoritarian governments in terms of not trying to influence political outcomes. That is total, total garbage. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. Now, just uh, sometimes you think, well, things couldn't get worse. But interestingly, Mr. James Packer, one of the heirs to the Packer, sorry, Mr. James um, Murdoch, my apologies. Mr. Murdoch, Mr. James Murdoch, not Packer, Mr. James Murdoch has left. Murdoch board and he's left the board in the hands of his father Rupert and his brother Lachlan and he's made an imprintable decision which will cost him billions of dollars because he is sick and tired of an editorial policy which is pursued by the Murdoch media around the world in all its newspapers, all its social media outlets, all its television outlets, all its paid television outlets, and it's got extraordinary amount of reach, especially in the Western world, which has pursued an anti-CO2 global warming agenda, irrespective, irrespective of the facts it continues to pursue that agenda. It continues to pursue a divisive agenda using race as a weapon. It continues to foster a situation which sees people like Trump and he's been elected over and over again. So James Murdoch had enough. He's walked away. He has walked away from the Murdoch group because obviously he doesn't have a majority in the Murdoch uh, uh, decision-making process, and his walk away. So congratulations to James for walking away from that putrid Murdoch swamp, a swamp that is, has had so much negative influence in Australian society, a swamp which continues to have negative influence on Australian society as I speak, as they continue their divisive, racist... Uh, anti-climate change agenda ad nauseum week after week after week despite the damage that's been done to the country, despite the paralysis that has occurred in this country regarding uh, decisions to tackle climate change. And to a significant degree also the response to the pandemic. So it's good to see somebody like uh, James Murdoch uh, walk away. So it highlights that there is hope. And if you feel depressed, if you feel uh, squeezed, if you feel there's no options, if the pandemic, and especially if you live in metropolitan Melbourne and uh, possibly regional Victoria, if you feel the pandemic has really got to a situation where nothing is possible, as we enter a six-week lockdown stage, a severe lockdown stage, where police and military personnel will be... Uh, have extraordinary powers to uh, control your movements and control what you can and cannot do. While well, you have a Premier and a government that seems to be incapable of actually reaching out to the population, you're feeling depressed, there's no need to feel depressed. There's no need to feel angry. I mean, if you get angry, you get exhausted. If you get depressed, you just sit there. We are in a critical time. 
we are in a critical time where we can overthrow the business as usual approach, which this government at the state and federal level, government at the state and federal level in Australia, have been pursuing for so long. We are at a critical juncture where people may be beginning to listen to different approaches to the situation we have. I think what COVID-19 has done, it has demonstrated the fracture lines in our society. It has demonstrated we are not all in this together. It has demonstrated the weaknesses of government policies. It has demonstrated the weaknesses of allowing this country's natural resources to be exploited by a handful of corporations and individuals who enrich themselves at the expense of everybody else in this community. It has demonstrated how mass media, especially the media empire, has such a negative impact on Australian society. Whether this will achieve anything or not is a different matter. Whether people will move forward and take action is a different matter. But what it has done, it has demonstrated those fault lines and instead of, you know, blaming the Chinese or blaming the people down the road or blaming the people, you know, who speak a different language, maybe we are beginning to realise that we are, are in this all together. But, unfortunately, some people are in a better position economically to cope than other people. Some people, and most of the people who will be making the sacrifices during the close-down of the uh, retail sector, will be poorly paid, casual workers. Many of them will not be entitled to JobKeeper. And obviously the government hasn't reopened JobKeeper, especially in Victoria. So what this has demonstrated is the weakness of the, of the policies that we have pursued for so long in this country, policies that have been supported by Australians, policies like deregulation. Now, people think, oh... Government regulations, they're terrible. They're causing me a lot of discomfort. They're causing me a lot of problems. Well, the issue is that as far as government regulations is concerned, many of those regulations are in place to protect people. They are in place to protect you from being exploited by the commercial sector. They are in place to ensure the house that's been built for you is of is suitable standard. They are in place to ensure that workers are fairly paid for their labour and are protected from unfair dismissal. They are in place to ensure that the environment is not destroyed for the sake of, you know, creating profit for somebody else. So, and it's interesting to note that currently there is a huge push by the federal government to cut green regulation. So, what is green regulation? Green regulation are those regulations in place to protect the environment from uh, disastrous development. Now we've got federal government intervention giving the states the power to decide what goes ahead and what doesn't go ahead. And with this push for jobs, 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 jobs during this pandemic and with increasing unemployment, we will see legislation which has been put in place for decades to protect the environment being removed and we will see increased CO2 emission 
as a direct result of that legislation being removed. So every time you see a government talk about deregulation, think about the negative consequences. Think about why that regulation is in place. And as I said before, this is a period of great hope. Hope, as I keep saying, is the love child of desire and expectation. The desire for change and the expectation that change will occur. For far too long, there has been no hope in this country. For far too long, we have thought that you can't fight the city hall. For far too long, we have decided that to struggle, struggle for radical change, struggle for major change, is impossible. It is possible. And what the pandemic has demonstrated is how fragile this country is, how fragile the structures which bring us, supposedly make us a, a sovereign nation state are, and how that we need major changes. As I said before, I can talk to the cows come home, and that means I'll be talking for a turkey that I don't own any cow. But as I said before, talk is good in terms of getting ideas across to people. But there has to be another phase. And that phase is organisation. You need to organise and then take action. In order to organise, we need to come together in new organisations. Some will be parliamentary focused, others won't be parliamentary focused, but they will all be focused on the need for change, the need to ensure the Commonwealth is used for the common good, the need to expand the role of democracy in this country, the need to remove the influence of unaccountable corporations from this country, the need to use our natural resources for the nation's good, not the uh, good of individuals in this society. That is what we need to look at today, and we need to do it now. The next six weeks is a perfect time. <laughs> There's not much you can do if you live in Melbourne, and obviously it's a perfect time around Australia. This is a perfect time to go to our website, pipsy.net, have a look, P-I-B-C-I, have a look. If you like what you see, download the application form and join. We are keen to get started. We are very keen, but without your support, without your help, we won't get started. As I said before, this is a period of hope. It is a period of great hope. I know a lot of people say to me, well, at the end of this, this will all be business as usual. But it won't be business as usual because the economic and social and cultural consequences are so profound and will continue to be so profound that business as usual will not be an option. There are two options. One is increase authoritarianism, as we're seeing, where police and the armed forces have ultimate power, where we see parliament pushed aside, and that is quite possible. That is quite possible. Or we see the creation of a society which is less authoritarian, where wealth is held in common, where people are involved in the decision-making process, and which direction we move in to a significant degree is dependent on how you act over the next uh, 
you, you also. So it's there. The options are there. We always have options. Human beings always have options. Sometimes it seems that sometimes it seems impossible, but we have options. We can create options. We can create change. We can be involved in that movement for social, cultural, and political change and economic change in this country and around the world. Because ultimately, how we live, how we organise. What we do is dependent on what we think and how we act. You've been listening to the Anarchist Will this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. We have uh, conducted the program outside the studios of 3CR in Melbourne because of the uh, current lockdown. We will continue to broadcast uh, live every Wednesday. Uh, via the Community Radio Network across this country. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. Uh, things are not as bad as we think they are because we can change what's happening. We can make that ultimate decision. And the important thing is not to get too depressed, too angry, too frightened during this period. The important thing is to, during this period to do a little bit of thinking, a little bit of organisation and uh, get ready for... Uh, becoming struggle, because this struggle has not ended. It is just beginning. You can go to my YouTube channel. You can go to the Public Interest Before Corporate Interest YouTube channel, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. You can go to the website, pipsy.net. You can go to the Anarchist Moves the Chin Whips uh, 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 page, anarchistmedia.org. You can send me emails at info at anarchistmedia.org or info at pipsy.net. You go to Facebook pages, Joseph Toscano, Toscano for the Public, Defending Extend Public Housing, Public Housing, Everybody's Business, and the list goes on and on. Uh, if you're not a computer, you haven't got a computer or a printer and you want an application form to join public interest before corporate interest, you can always leave a message on 0439 395 489, 0439 395 489. And if all else fails, you can always write to me at post office box 20. Parkville 3052. Thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This program is podcast and you can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. Listen in to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station next week. Minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Wash my hands. Oh,
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.